Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Moving Thought Podcast, the podcast for movers and thinkers. This is your host, Colin Van Ert, and I'm very happy to have you all back for another episode of the show. I've been feeling a lot of excitement and gratitude around producing the show as of late. It's been the stepping stone for me to build a ton of relationships with other practitioners and entrepreneurs in the health and wellness industry, and the people I meet are truly inspiring. The more that I meet them, the more that I learn, and I really am grateful for this opportunity. And today's show is no exception. In the last few months, I've come to know today's guest and have really resonated with his work and his message. His name is Chris Godden, and he is a licensed acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, as well as the founder of Balanced Wellness here in Austin, Texas. As you'll see from today's conversation, he has a very well-rounded perspective on health and how the body functions. He's very well-researched, but most importantly, he loves his work and he loves to take people out of pain and disease and towards greater health. I really, truly enjoyed today's talk, so without too much further ado, we're going to begin the show right away today, so why don't you all help me please welcome to the show, Mr. Chris Godden. And, okay. uh, yeah, it'll be easy enough. So we're, we're going, thanks for taking some time on your Saturday morning. Appreciate you yeah. being here virtually as of we're course. hanging out. Thanks for, thanks for doing this with me. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to talk about your work, um, especially acupuncture, because I think it's still, uh, it still resides in the woo world for a lot of people. So I want to yeah, dig into that sure. and dig into sort of the way that, you know, we can validate its, its efficacy and how it's been able to help people over time. Um, and that's something that's really interesting to me. I have a lot of questions around that, but, uh, I think a great place to start would just be talking about your journey and how you got to where you are. So how did you start with working in acupuncture and Eastern medicine? Yeah. So, um, the, the main impetus for me was uh, a health issue and, and, and going through graduate school for, for acupuncture and integrative medicine, that was like 99% of the stories that you heard. It was, I had these health issues, conventional medicine could not help me at all. And yeah. <laughs> so that was my story too. My, my, uh, version happened to be back pain. So I had uh, mid scapular kind of mid to upper back pain, um, that was progressively getting worse to the point where I was having like numbness and tingling down my arms. And I, I clearly remember days where the most comfortable position I could be in was face up on the ground, just on a flat surface, looking up at the sky. And that, that gave me some relief, but obviously that was not a good way to continue to be a productive member of society. <laughs> so I needed to figure, figure out how to deal with it a little bit better. Um, and like most people, I, I tried the first thing that I tried was going to my primary care. He, he prescribed muscle relaxers, um, which for me did not help at all. Uh, it just made me feel weird, but it didn't do anything for the pain. So, um, I guess it's kind of lucky that it didn't help. So I'm, so, so I actually found something that I love, uh, eventually, but so I started with that. Um, I tried physical therapy. I tried, uh, chiropractic. I tried, uh, Pilates yoga. I mean, I tried just about, everything I could think of. And I think I, I kept looking for like the, the magic bullet, like what is going to get me out of this back pain and everything that I tried helped a little bit, but it was really, 
in working with a, an acupuncturist, actually, uh, they helped me understand that, you know, it, it, it's not going to be a magic bullet. Um, it's not going to be just one therapy. It's not going to be just one exercise or, or one thing, one pill, certainly not. Um, that's going to correct this for you. Most likely you've had mm -hmm. this for years. There's a lot of things that have built up around it physically, but then there's also some emotional stuff around it. You're not dealing with your stress very well. So we need to kind of hit all aspects here in order for you to start to feel better. And that was, that was a light bulb for me. Um, just understanding that there are, there are a lot of components to this and it's not just a, a physical manifestation. There's, there's, I, I need to be, um, taking into account better, uh, stress relieving, um, mechanisms. Uh, I need to work on my diet. Um, and then there are things that I'm doing physically that are not helping. So once I started to address all of those things, um, I started to feel better and I, I consider myself very, very fortunate that I, I really don't even think about my back anymore. Um, and I mean, it was years when I was dealing with that. And for, if you've ever had chronic pain or if you've ever met or, or been with anybody with chronic pain, it, it'll like, it takes over your life. It takes over everything that you can think about. So just mm -hmm. not having to think about that anymore. I, I just feel like I need to spread the good gospel to, yeah. <laughs> to everybody that will listen. So. You're a convert. Exactly. Totally. Totally. Acupuncture um, and, and kind of that integrative approach really, really helped me. Yeah. So it was pretty debilitating, your back pain. Oh yeah. It was, it was horrible. Um, I, the, the, and the hardest part, the pain was pretty intense, but it was really just the, the mental aspect was worse because your mind would just go to this, these places where you're like, what if I never get rid of this pain? What if I'm like, you know, just on pain pills for the rest of my life? What if I have to get surgery? Like, and, and you would just, you get in these circles and it was hard to get out of them at, at, at times just because the pain was always there. Um, but yeah, that was, that was rough. That's really interesting. Um, just that idea, the sort of psychology of pain or chronic illness. Um, I've had these conversations with some other practitioners and coaches and uh, wellness doctors, and they talk about the, that a lot. Well, definitely the mentality, but I think something that you're touching on here is just like the psychological suffering that gets associated with pain and oh, yeah. uh, how much that triggers a negative thought cycle. And um, I tell this to my clients all the time. Um, just the importance of injury prevention or just keeping themselves healthy because people know this, but they easily forget. It's like if you ever had the flu and you were taken out for a few days at a time, you're useless. You can't do anything else but deal with yourself being sick. Right. And, you know, life becomes kind of miserable and all you think about, you're, you're entirely consumed by this idea of I want to get healthier. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just kind of suffering right now. And then you get healthier and then like a few days go by and then you just completely forget. And then you can go yeah. back to your ways. And you don't think about right. the importance of being healthy and injury-free for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that certainly speaks to like a core belief that I have now that, that prevention is, is, you know, the, the best thing that I can do for myself. And it's the best thing that I can teach the clients that I work with now. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially with chronic pain, your nervous system just kind of gets into this loop. Um, and those negative emotions are actually feeding the pain and the pain is feeding the negative emotions. And it just, it's mm -hmm. this loop that just gets worse and worse and worse. And even though 
you know, at, at some point for a lot of chronic pain sufferers, there's no more tissue damage. Like the, the tissue is fine, but the nerves continue to believe that something is going on. So they're, they're almost tricking the brain into believing that. And the, the brain just takes over. Um, so for a lot of folks, um, it can take a lot of different interventions to help snap them out of that and, and kind of keep them in the, the, the space of mind where, um, where they aren't believing the nerves, which is hard. You know, the nerves are there that they're, they're evolutionary. There's an evolutionary programming for them to, to feed information to the brain. And if we have to kind of rewire our brain to say, yeah, don't listen to that nerve. That's, that's not really the truth anymore. You know, that, that's not really what we're designed to do. So it can take a lot of, um, a lot of stimulus and a lot of different interventions to do that. Yeah. That's a pretty provocative idea as well. The whole, um, thought of there is a bit of a stimulus and then there's a, a, an attached, attached reaction and emotion that goes through. It's as if that the idea or the thought of that nerve pain is then associated with those same thought patterns that you had when you were in chronic pain. So if something yeah. triggers those thought patterns, then you just go through that cycle once again and the brain keeps yeah. going down the same channels. You almost have to rewire the reaction to it because yep. otherwise you're going to reinstill those same negative emotions and the same feelings of that pain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. And, and, you know, uh, pivoting the, the conversation a little bit, I think that's a big reason why traditional Chinese medicine helps me so much um, because so we, we hear a lot about acupuncture and, and my official title is a licensed acupuncturist, but we, we actually do quite a bit more than that because we're all trained in any licensed acupuncturist is trained in the whole scope and breadth of traditional Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. um, acupuncture being kind of one of the, the tenets of that. So there is, there is acupuncture, but there's also Chinese herbal therapy. Um, and there's a, a big emphasis on, on diet, lifestyle, and, and kind of a, uh, meditation, mindfulness. Um, if you've heard of Qigong and Tai Chi, those are big parts of it as well. Um, but being able to use these different, um, parts of the medicine that are, are all really focused on shifting your nervous system. Um, I think that's probably where acupuncture, especially, but also the, the meditation aspect of it. I mean, that, I, I think the biggest thing that's going to come out of a lot of the research that's happening now is that um, they're going to find, wow, it, it has really, really intense effects on the nervous system specifically. I mean, when you're putting a, a, a metal acupuncture needle into the body and the nerves are primarily running on electrical stimulation, there's like this basically an antenna <laughs> in the tissue they're going to respond to that, right? And and because the nerves have such um, uh, global um, actions, uh, if, if we can shift what they're doing, even in the tiniest way, that can make a really big difference in other parts of the body. Um, so, you know, in, in all honesty, we don't quite know why acupuncture has the effect that it does. But I, I think as, as the research continues, and they're doing so much research on it now, that's going to be the biggest thing. They're going to say, oh, wow, it, it stimulates this nerve to um, either be more active or less active. And, and that, in turn, um, affects the rest of the body in X, Y, Z ways. 
Yeah. And I want to put a bookmark there because that's something I want to dig into. But as we're talking yeah. about the nervous system, that's one of my favorite topics because in the last few years as a strength coach and some movement practitioner, somebody who really enjoys um, a more theoretical approach to how the body moves and integrates and what's actually happening as we engage in our environment, my focus has dialed in pretty um, specifically on the nervous system, on the central nervous system and how vitally important it is. But also once you take this perspective, you kind of cease to be as myopic, Um, Mm -hmm. especially in my world where it's a lot of fitness and strength and um, people really focus on the musculoskeletal system. They kind of neglect the central nervous system in that regard. And it's all about the muscle and the bone and the joint. And that's nice, but what about what's controlling those actions or right. what's stimulating those actions? Even the sense of, you know, um, the way in which we feed neurological information to our bodies will um, encourage muscle growth or it will encourage um, different reactions throughout the body. There's one particular study that they referenced where they had people visualizing uh, movement while they were not training. And yeah, I read that one. Yeah. And then other people that weren't visualizing, they weren't doing anything. And just through the act of visualizing movement in their body, they prevented atrophy. Um, and they Mm -hmm. maintain muscle mass better than people that were just inactive. So even thinking about movement, which stimulates the central nervous system actually stimulates, or at least inhibits atrophy in the muscle. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of been a big focus for me. And, as soon as you start going that route, it kind of, a lot of things open up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, kind of on the, the other end of that, what can be really damaging is when you add stress to the situation, which for a lot of people is a really, really big issue. Stress and anxiety is, is something that if, if not, if it's not the chief complaint that I'm working on with folks, it's at least an aspect of what we're working on because yeah. when there is that chronic stress and those, those stress hormones, um, constantly activated. I mean, they just have such global effects on the entire central nervous system and everything that's attached to. So if, if you're, you know, like, like what you're saying, if you're trying to train and, and, and have a, uh, a, a more fit physical body, but you're not dealing with your stressors, it's just not going to happen because you're almost like fighting against yourself, um, with that, that stress reaction. You need to, calm that down first before you can have um, any sort of gains in, in, in the physical body. Yeah, absolutely. And people have gone so extreme to make such blanket statements as, um, you know, that there, there have been practitioners that have made such statements along the lines of, oh, you know, all major illnesses and disease are just forms of stress. And when you look at it, on the whole, you're like, well, that sounds a little ridiculous. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. you know, that's that's a little bit uh, too grand of a statement. It's too simplistic, but I think there is an essence of truth in that. In that, if you broaden your perspective on what stress is, maybe it's a maybe it's a toxin that's in your environment. Uh, maybe it's a negative emotion or a negative thought cycle that you have. Uh, maybe it's working out too much or in such a way that's damaging your body. When you look at it from that regard, it does make a lot of sense. And then so yeah. you can then take a path of treatment that's based from uh, one that's focused on stress and stress reduction. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't think uh, chronic stress could, you know, if, if everybody had better uh, stress levels and they were dealing with stress better, I don't think that would eliminate all chronic disease. But I, I certainly am of the belief that it affects the prognosis of every chronic disease. You know, if, if you're having your body has limited resources, right? If if it's having to deal with chronic stress and, and the hormones and the cascades that come with all of that, um, you know, it, it only has so much energy and resources to deal with whatever else is going on chronic disease wise, whether it's diabetes, cancer, you know, you name it. If, if stress is there too, um, the body has to shift resources to deal with whatever's going on there as well as the chronic disease. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you went to every single person you could find. You tried all the things that you could possibly do. Finally, you found somebody who sort of shifted your mindset and you were able to pull yourself out of pain. Um, and then you decided that you became an evangelist. You're like, this is the way, people. Um, and, then, and then you decided that this is what you were going to do. Yeah, exactly. So it was at that point that I, I attended the school that this practitioner attended that helped me so much. Um, and the school is in, in here in Austin, South Austin, uh, AOMA Graduate School of Integrative Medicine. So as I said, we, we, we learn traditional Chinese medicine, but it, it, they call themselves integrative medicine school because we learn not just traditional Chinese medicine, but we also get a really, uh, probably half of the program is about Western medicine and um, kind of the, the latest and greatest and, and what's going on there so that we truly can try to integrate our, the, the traditional um, uh, Chinese medicine practices with you know, the, the best of what's going on with modern medicine. Because for some folks, absolutely, you know, they, they need uh, surgery or they need, they would be best suited for having pharmaceuticals or whatever they have going on. You can't completely discount that. Um, but there are a lot of folks who um, would benefit more or there would be less potential side effects or it would be less expensive or all of those things um, if they were to focus on diet first or if they were to integrate a, a mindfulness meditation practice first or if they were to do acupuncture first. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's trying to understand the, the patient in front of us as a, as a whole person and then determine, okay, what could you benefit from the most uh, at this point in time? What, what's going to offer you the most benefit with the least risk. Cool. Um, so with your education then and your kind of disposition, what, where is that uh, kind of conflict and convergence? What is the relationship between the Eastern thought and the Western approach? Um, how do you integrate those two into your practice? Well, um, I mean, I think there is a huge opportunity for, complementary medicine, which is, is kind of this growing field and growing idea uh, where the, the two medicines, the, the traditional medicines, the holistic medicine um, and the, the modern Western medicines, they, they, there is so much opportunity for them to work together. Um, there are, I think, practitioners and advocates on the far ends of each, each spectrum where they're like, no, there is no benefit to either. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the big Western medicine folks will say acupuncture is just completely ridiculous. And then there's some 
acupuncturists or, or, you know, Eastern medicine proponents will say there's no benefit to Western medicine. But I think those, those folks are fewer and far between, and they're probably not looking at research or um, having a, a clear understanding of the, the clear benefits that each medicine can bring. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, from a broad perspective, the fact that we're dealing with so much chronic disease now and so much of that is um, at least partially due to lifestyle, um, I think that's where traditional Chinese medicine concepts can really, really benefit our society where um, you know modern medicine has brought about so much fantastic stuff with surgery and pharmaceuticals and they've been able to tackle so many problems that we we're having even you know, a, a couple decades ago, um, but they have not been able to tackle, you know, the diabetes crisis, uh, the, the obesity crisis with that, um, the opioid epidemic. I, I mean, all that stuff can really be helped by concepts in traditional concepts in traditional Chinese medicine. So I, I really see that the opportunity for them to complement each other is there. It, it just might take some creativity for how how doctors will start to prescribe acupuncture or traditional Chinese medicine, for example. Um, and especially if we can get insurance companies on board, but that, that might be a, another topic. Yeah, that's <laughs> a hard fought, that's, that'll be a hard-fought battle. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a matter of time, but it, it will be some time, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it'll happen, too. I think it's, it's slowly happening, right? It is. Texas is one of the slower adopters. But yeah, yeah I mean, a, a bunch of the states in like the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast, you know, um, they, they've, they've been uh, covering acupuncture as a therapy for years and um, had good success with it. So how do you think that, um, how would you summarize the philosophical differences between um, a more Western approach and some of the principles of Chinese medicine? Um, I think a big part of it, or or at least one of the the big philosophical differences is, um, you know, in in Western medicine, it is hyper-focused on um, mechanism of action at a microscopic level. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's take uh, pharmaceuticals uh, as a a good example. I mean, if, if you are going to get a pharmaceutical approved by the FDA, you need to prove what is going on in, on a microscopic chemical level. When you take this much of the drug, X, Y, and Z things are going to happen on a cellular level. Um, compared to uh, Eastern medicine, where we are really looking, we're, we're trying to determine, okay, what is happening on, on the whole human level? Um, so if you have X, Y, and Z symptoms from these even different um, systems in, in the body, how are they talking to each other? How are they interacting? And what can we do to make it so that they interact in a smoother way? Um, and, you know, I, again, I think there's benefit to both. Um, but uh, I, I, I think... Western medicine can miss out pretty often on, on trying to take that step back and, and look at it from a, a broader perspective. And part of the problem is that they, we, we don't always um, use that, that microscopic perspective for, for understanding the, the significance and importance of a therapy across the board, like acetaminophen, Tylenol, we've been using for years and years, but we don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah, we we know that it 
it reduces pain. And we know that if you take a lot of it, you can severely damage your liver, but we don't really know how it works still. Um, I mean, acupuncture is the same way. We've got all these studies that show it works on a lot of conditions. I mean, the World Health Organization has a list of, I want to say like 50 conditions that it's been proven some level of effectiveness for. Um, they've proven that it's very safe, especially in the hands of a licensed uh, practitioner. Um, if we know that it works, does it really matter if we know why it works from our patient's perspective? I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that's really hard to come up with the proof positive, right? Like, uh, the direct correlation of what's happening with, uh, acupuncture is hard, hard to make that connection. Correct. Yeah, it it is hard to, yeah, there are, there are a lot of reasons why it's been hard to study. Um, uh, part of the issue is that we, we don't have the same diagnosis principles. So for example, mm. on a, on a Western medicine side, you can, we, we diagnose a disease like diabetes, right? Um, from a, a traditional Chinese medicine standpoint, if, if we were to see a patient with diabetes, um, they could, ha we could actually give them a different diagnosis. So, so two patients with diabetes could have a different diagnosis depending on their specific symptoms and the other symptoms that they have going on that could be affecting other systems in their body because we are taking that whole body approach. We can't just say, we can't just look at, you know, their blood sugar levels and say, yes, you have this disease, mm -hmm. uh, from a traditional Chinese medicine standpoint, we have to look at, okay, how's your digestion? How are you sleeping? Um, how's your stress? We, we need to understand all of those things before we can say, okay, you actually have this disease and we need to treat you this way. So, if in these studies, when they say, okay, we're going to um, do these specific acupuncture points um, for a thousand people with diabetes, that might be appropriate for some of them, but for others, it won't be. Um, so that's been a problem with some of the studies out there. They've gotten smarter about it more recently, but um, it does make it more difficult to to study when we're not even talking about the same disease, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I can understand that. Well, and then it's almost like translating into a different language where it's not a one for one translation. Um, yeah. But I can definitely see the challenge in where in traditional Chinese medicine, you're almost, uh, you know, the, the prognosis is almost much more based on lifestyle. And that's gonna be so much different between person to person. So um, yeah, it's yeah, so I, I definitely understand that. Um, but I think it's also interesting too. I'm sure there's a lot of people who operate in the field of traditional Chinese medicine and there, there's this effort to validate their practices and they probably just think this is kind of a slap in the face, right? They're like, what do you mean? This has been around for thousands of years. Uh, it's been working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly I, I think, uh, some practitioners take it a little bit more personally than others. Mm -hmm. Um, some practitioners really focus in on uh, the research and God bless them. Some of them are like, I'm, I'm going to help, you know, uh, figure out how to make the research prove that this is as effective as we have seen clinically and why it's effective as we have seen clinically for those thousands of years. From my perspective, I mean, I, I consider myself primarily a clinician. So the research, although it does affect the, um, I, I think the standing of the medicine in general mm -hmm. 
from my perspective, I just want my patients to get better. So if, if that means if I see that acupuncture makes them get better, I'm going to use acupuncture and I'm going to continue to use acupuncture because that's what my patients care about. I know that it's safe and I know it's effective. So yes, let's integrate that. Um, if diet is going to make a difference for them, that's going to be safe. That's going to be effective. Let's do that. Um, so it really is for me. And I think for most of the clinicians out there, it's like, we don't really care what the research says. Um, uh, it, if it works, it works. Let's keep doing right. it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately what this medicine is all about. It's about helping people and not just proving a point. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, exactly. So when you're working with clients, what is sort of your process? How do you take a patient who comes to you for the first time and take them from where they're at and then try to get them beyond their, their symptoms and beyond their condition? Yeah. Um, the first step is, a, is, a, is the intake and exam. Uh, and um, uh, acupuncturists are known for and, and tend to get surprised to look sometimes with how uh, detailed our intakes are mm-hmm. because somebody will come to me with you know, headaches or, or migraines um, and I'll be talking about their digestion and, and all this other stuff. And I, I usually have to tell them, you know, I, I understand you're coming in for a headache. I need to know this other stuff because we need to know all of the symptoms that you have so that we can determine the pattern. Um, because it is a holistic medicine, we can't just look at one system and determine how best to help you. So um, we, we, we take all this information and, and the medicine was developed by determining these patterns. Um, because they developed this medicine a couple thousand years ago, we didn't have the benefit of blood work or x-rays and other imaging um, or some of these other um, diagnostic tools. So it was really just mostly observation-based. Um, if you have these symptoms and, and kind of this pattern, then that tells us how to treat you with acupuncture, with herbs, with diet, with lifestyle. Um, so, and, and that's basically how we do it now. We, we determine all the symptoms that they have. Um, we figure out what pattern they have, and then we write up a, a prescription. Um, I want to see you, you're, you're going to benefit from acupuncture this often. Um, you're going to benefit from these Chinese herbs because they fit your pattern. Uh, you should, um, make these diet changes. You could, you should make these lifestyle changes. So, um, we, we, we give them a whole, um, kind of life prescription for <laughs> what they yeah. need to do to, to make a difference in their chronic issues. Cool. And so you kind of have the game plan that you take people through. Is there, do you struggle with adherence? Is there, I'm sure there's an element of coaching people and just like getting them to actually follow what you tell them to do. Oh, totally. I mean, with, with anything and especially because most folks have been trained to take a pill. I mean, even me, when, when I, when I was kind of describing uh, my issues before I came to this medicine, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for the magic bullet. Like, where's the pill to get rid of my back pain? Why am I still struggling with this? Um, so yeah, there's certainly an aspect of, of helping people understand, look, you, you've, you've made a lot of poor health choices to get to this point. We need to reverse those. Um, and that's going to take a lot of good health choices in order to do that. Um, a lot of times what I've found to be helpful is getting a clear understanding from them. Like, wh- why are you 
why are you here? Why are you coming to me right now? What, what is this disease or what is this injury or whatever they're coming in for? What is it preventing you from doing in your life? Do you want to be able to, um, you know, live outside of a nursing home? Do you want to be able to pick up your kids? Do you want to be able to have kids? And once you can kind of understand that and have them understand it from that like emotional level, they're going to be much more interested in taking the steps that they need to take to get better. Um, if it's more, if, if you keep it at that service level, like I don't want to have a headache. Well, yeah, obviously you don't want to have a headache. Nobody wants to have a headache, but what's it preventing you from doing that you love? Right. If we can hit that, then they're going to be much more likely to, to want to stick with it. Yeah. And that's a really important point too. Um, that's something I work on with people pretty generally is, or I should say pretty commonly is this whole idea of going away from this place where it's almost, there's a difference between running away from a negative and then running towards a positive. Whereas yeah. a lot of people, um, they have something, uh, we can use a specific example in my industry, which is a lot of people maybe have issues with body image and mm. they don't, think highly of themselves because they're overweight or they just don't like the way their body looks. Um, and so they'll go to fitness and training and all these things, um, because they want to change something that is negative. And Mm -hmm. when they do that, uh, the sort of driving motivations change pretty significantly and that can lead to some poor behavior. It can lead to desperation. It can lead to short sightedness. Um, and then conversely, you might have someone who <clears throat> perhaps it's the same issue. They're overweight. Um, but instead of thinking, oh, I don't want to be fat anymore. I, w- I don't want to be an overweight, unattractive person anymore. Um, instead, they may think, you know, I want to play sports again. Or um, I just want to feel healthier and have more energy. If they're moving towards that more positive direction, I often see that their motivations will lead to better decision-making too. Yeah. And I think that's a really important piece. And it's super interesting because almost always when I ask that question, like, or, or try to understand their why, like, why, why are you here? What do you want to get out of this? Almost always they're taken aback. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, I have to clarify it several times because they've never been asked. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> you know, especially not from like a, a doctor or a practitioner. The doctor's always like, all right, you want to lose weight? I'll help you lose weight. Like, here we go. Um, there can be such deeper things. And if you can help them understand what is your, why, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Um, it can just help them so much in sticking with it and understanding, um, you know, that this can really change their life. So, um, yeah, that's big. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of the sort of central nervous system thought loop rewiring piece. Um, Oh Yeah. Like, let's take this condition that you have, let's move it out of the realm of a negative thought that you have about yourself and attach it to a new positive image that you have, where the behavior that you'll do is now going to be attached to this brighter future, as opposed to this behavior that you do is just going to prevent you from having that negative past that, you know, if you're still focused on that negative past, you're still in a place of anxiety. Um, you're still in this place of kind of fear-based thinking as opposed to what you can potentially do to make things better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever heard the, the, the term nerves that, uh, wire or nerves that fire together, wire together? Uh, -uh. I love that saying. So it it, it just speaks to the point that, you know, the, the more you do something and even the more you think a certain way, 
the easier time your body and your nervous system is going to have continuing to do that. Mm. Um, so if you can think in these positive ways or um, try to, to make associations and, and kind of continue to hammer that into the brain and into the nervous system, it's just going to stick there a little bit better. Whereas on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you have these negative loops, like what I have with my back pain and my anxiety, and this is never going to get better, that was just getting really, really ingrained into my system. And it was, it was starting to be that way where yeah. my back pain was not getting better at all. Um, so it really is something that needs to be shifted in a lot of people uh, to, to have them take that step to getting better. That's really interesting. That reminds me of um, a sort of training modality or a training protocol that's popularized by this guy, Pavel Satsulin, um, who's mm-hmm. a pretty well-renowned strength coach. It's called Grease the Groove. And in this specific context, we're talking about greasing a pattern of movement and making it so that your body can facilitate it much better. A good example would be pull-ups, right? So mm-hmm. if people can't do many pull-ups, let's say they can do two or three, but they want to be able to do 10, this protocol would suggest that Every time you see a pull-up bar, you do one pull-up. Mm. And so um, maybe you have something in your house or maybe you have, if you're at a gym or if you're in a place where there might be a place for you to do a pull-up, you just do one every once in a mm-hmm. while. You do something that is not your maxed out effort. It wouldn't be you doing two to three, which is all you could do. It's just one perfect pull-up. And the yeah. idea behind it is you get perfect practice in. So the neurological firing is telling your musculoskeletal system how to do this thing precisely. Um, and then you also get the volume. So you're greasing that, you're, you're carving out that pathway and making it more clear cut so that um, as you tell your body to do a pull up, it knows exactly what to do every time. And yeah. so it's interesting because that same sort of neurological perspective used to get people strong and get their central nervous system to fire their muscles the right way. It's almost like you could grease the groove on your emotions. It's almost as though yeah. you could train your body and train your mind to have positive thought patterns or yeah. reduce anxiety through practice. Yeah. No, they've, they've done, um, similar to that, they've done uh, MRI uh, imaging on, I think it was on like Buddhist monks or somebody, mm-hmm. some population where they, they meditate, they do these mindfulness meditations for long periods of the day, long, long periods of their life. And they've seen that the structures of their brain are different from the normal person. I mean, they have structures in their brain yeah. uh, responsible for compassion. They are larger. And the structures in their brain responsible for things like fear are smaller. So, I mean, yeah. the, the structures of the nervous system can actually change with different thoughts, which just kind of blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> like the central nervous system rewiring itself. Yeah. Oh, so cool. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting too. A big thing for me this year is just focusing on some, some of my own mindfulness training and Mm -hmm. uh, mental training and some neurological rewiring in the process. And it's a cool journey. It's interesting to notice it uh, spill over. For me, it just looks like a a regular meditation practice. I'm going through a kind of course right now and it's been really helpful, but it's been amazing to see how much that actually spills over and it changes your personality. And uh, it yeah. is this weird sort of meta moment of the brain being aware of the brain, training the brain. <laughs> totally. But I mean, that's, and I think that's one of those things that, um, you know, Eastern medicine has seen the value in for a long time. Western medicine is just, I, well, I'm saying just came around. They, they've been doing, they've been studying it since like the 60s, I, I think. Um, 
um, blanking on his name, but he did a, the, the mindfulness, uh, what is it? The stress, I'm blanking on it, but anyways, there was a, a famous clinician. He's still practicing and researching, um, doing research on mindfulness based. That's what it is. Mindfulness based stress reduction is the technique that, uh, he created. So Western medicine is coming around to it too and understanding the benefits of it from, uh, from, from kind of a, a, a cycle, uh, or a, a, a neuro, uh, level. Um, but this is a, a certainly an aspect in, in the therapy that both traditional medicines and modern medicines can agree upon, you know, and I think as we move forward, there's just going to be more and more of those, um, that we can all benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exciting. And this, it's, uh, the, the Western approach is super important. Um, it's a little bit slower, but it's, it's, it's trying to find figure out what's concrete and what we can rely upon. So yeah, it's there for a reason. It's, it's just not going to be at the forefront of the, it'll just lag behind because it has to catch up and like, you know, you being strict to the scientific method and adherence to these protocols. But that's also where a lot of people get validation who might not want to step into areas of um, belief, belief or faith in something that they can't necessarily be validated. So all that stuff is useful. Um, and it'll, it'll definitely have its purpose. Um, so, you know, hopefully more and more people will come to it from that direction if that's what they need. Yeah. And, and trying to design some of these studies, I think that's why I'm glad that I'm not a researcher because trying to design some of these studies to, to prove the validity of, of some of these therapies. I I do not envy those people trying to design those. Yeah, I'm sure it's quite a task. Um, but you know, it's interesting how much it can really helpful. It seems like it's helped, helped you a lot, just having more integrative approach. And one thing I really like about your story is that it seems as though this, you know, quest to solve your back pain, which then led you down this path of a more integrative medicinal approach. Um, it sounds like your journey as a clinician and practitioner has also been the journey of you just kind of figuring out how you want to live and like you solving a lot of your own issues personally. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think you can really divorce being a uh, licensed acupuncturist as a profession from it being in your personal life. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it would be hard to, um, to, to practice this way and, 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 you know, tell your clients to do one thing and then go back and, completely not be aware of everything, um, in your personal life. So yeah, certainly it's been quite a journey so far. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's one of those things too, this, with this medicine, I, I'm going to be learning about it for the rest of my life. And that just, that makes me so happy and <laughs> just geared up about continuing to learn because there's so much about the body that we don't understand that we don't know about and that we can continue to, um, learn about, uh, it's the geek in me gets really excited about it. Yeah. Me as well. Someone who works with, um, training and understanding health and fitness. I love the idea that, um, it's just a never ending book. You can keep diving into it. It's just a never ending area of study and information. And we're only learning more. There's, you know, all these new industries that are coming out. Um, uh, like technology, for instance, is something where it's always changing all the time. And uh, you kind of have to stay on top of it. 
Um, however, when you're working with the body, it's, it's not necessarily changing as much. You can always dig right. into it. It's this huge um, collection of knowledge and information that's available to you. And you can always just go deeper and deeper into it. Uh, and the body isn't necessarily going to change on you tomorrow. So right. it's kind of right. nice in that regard. Yeah, it, it, it's not changing. And yet we, there's still so much that we don't know about it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's been basically the same for the last, I don't know, a couple thousand years, probably longer than that. Um, and we're, we're still trying to figure it all out. So that, that makes me excited. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I know you have to get out of here pretty soon. Um, but one thing I always ask people before they hop off um, is just if they could share a little bit of advice, um, you know, two to three pieces of information that they would like to share people um, that people can kind of use as actionable things they can do in their daily life. They can start today or tomorrow uh, just to make their lives a little better, to make them a little happier, a little healthier. Um, sure. what would be two to three things you would tell people to do, uh, just yeah. to improve their lives a little bit? Yeah. I, I, I feel like I share a lot of the same tips with a lot of my patients so I can easily just share some of those. Um, one of the, the, the things that I recommend for a lot, a lot of my patients is trying to develop a, a mindfulness based stress reduction technique, whether that's meditation, whether it's uh, Qigong, yoga, Tai Chi. Um, I mean, the, the research on this stuff is just overwhelming. Um, it, it doesn't really matter which practice you decide to do, but if you can even do 10 minutes a day, it has really overwhelming effects on the prognosis of basically any chronic disease, um, certainly on stress, on pain, if you're dealing with pain. I mean, it will affect your relationships in a positive way. It affects your relationship with yourself in a positive way. So, um, yeah, if you are dealing with any health issues or if you just are looking for ways for self-improvement, um, 10 minutes of meditation a day would be a great way to do it. There, uh, the, the app that I like the most is called Headspace, but there are other apps. Um, there are YouTube videos. So there are a lot of options for that. Does that be number one? Um, number two, drink more water. Everybody needs to drink more water. <laughs> and it seems like most of my patients are chronically dehydrated. So that would be a big one. Um, and number three, I would, I would, and I'm sure you agree with this one, recommend that people continue to move. Mm. Um, especially for the majority of the modern workforce right now, we are forced to be sitting in a chair and, uh, basically chained to our computers and our screens and it's not what we are meant to do um just uh physically and emotionally and for, from a evolutionary standpoint so the opportunities that you have to get outside be in the sunlight and and move around i would take advantage of those because they have a lot a lot of of different health benefits Absolutely. I love that. Uh, so Chris, where can people find you? How can they connect with you? Uh, how can they find more about your business and your work? Yeah. My website is balanceatx.com. Um, so all of the, the latest and greatest is there. I do various events, uh, in Austin. I, I do, um, two at the, at the moment I do two monthly talks at, uh, the public libraries here in Austin. Mm. Um, I'm active on Facebook and, uh, Instagram. So 
I'm, I'm out there. I'm pretty easy to find. I hope I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, and I'll grab all those links from you and I'll add them in the posts that I make with this recording. Okay, cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, well, this was great. I appreciate your time, Chris. Thanks for hopping on the call with me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I, I always liked talking about this stuff. So I appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah. Well, I look forward to doing it some more. Uh, you have a, day, a good day and uh, thanks for hopping on, man. All right. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thank you once again to Chris for taking time and sharing his story and his expertise with us. I truly believe that the future of medicine will be in this integrative approach where East meets West and Chris appears to be on the forefront of that convergence. To learn more about Chris and his business, please go to his website, balanceatx.com. Find him, follow him, subscribe to his stuff and be sure to say, hey, I imagine we'll be hearing more from him in the future. Thank you to everyone for listening in. I hope you all found value in that conversation. Again, the reason we produce these shows is for your consumption. This is our way of contributing to the conversation in a positive way, and we really appreciate you contributing as well by listening and following along. If you want to learn more about me and my own work, please visit my website at grasshopperstrength.com. There you can find all the episodes of the Moving Thought Podcast, and you can also sign up to be on my email list and receive a semi-regular posting from my blog that simply includes a little taste of my own philosophy and perspective on training and health. It's just another one of my outlets to get my fairly unique perspective on strength training, movement, and lifestyle design out into the world in your hands and hopefully helping you improve upon your own life and help you achieve your goals. So be sure to check that out. Otherwise, that's all that we have for you now, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I hope you guys got a lot from it. Thank you once again for listening in. Stay cool. Be well. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And uh, don't forget that we're all in this together. So you guys have a great, wonderful rest of your day. And we will see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.